people who preach know that there are different tastes and different styles of preaching that certain people prefer. Um, like there are those who really love expository, verse by verse, didactic preaching. And then there are those who really like stories. Uh, that would be known as narrative preaching. So I'm going to tell you a story. Actually, I'm going to tell you two stories. One of them is true. Uh, the other one is not. And um, I'm not going to tell you which order we're going to do those in. Uh, but I'm, then uh, this is ancillarily, the true story is ancillary. It's barely, barely connected to the message. Okay, but I just got to tell it. So here's, the, here, here's one of them. On Thursday mornings, Pastor Doug, Pastor Chris, me, uh, sometimes Kurt's there. He meets with another pastor, uh, Dan Ackerman, uh, our classes leader, uh, and Jonathan Elgersma from Faith. We meet together on Thursday mornings at City on a Hill. And we, we meet. Sometimes it's prayerful. Sometimes it's um, not. Uh, we're just we're friends who are in ministry, and we understand. So there's some things that, that one pastor understands in ministry that, are, that no one else would. Um, kind of like if you're a lawyer, no one really gets what it's like to defend a client except another lawyer. Uh, so we were in there the other day, and um, so I see the, the woman, we, we have this little, there's this little room at City on a Hill that, that they reserve for us. And we see this woman um, who's working at the counter, and she points over there to us. And this person walks in and, and knocks on the door, barely opens it up, sits in, I hear your pastors. Yeah, why? It never starts off good when I hear your pastors. Um, and, uh, well, I just want to, I got, and started just talking and, and some basically it came out very angrily that someone did something, someone who represented the church did something to them 30 years ago and really angered them, just angered them. And so we all decided kind of, we didn't have, you know, a little eye contact here and there. We all decided, all right, this is our, this is a chance, right? A kingdom God moment. So we took some shots and listened and two and a half hours later, I got to tell you that Doug and Chris, and particularly Jonathan, after listening, listening, and listening, shared the gospel and won that person back to the Lord. Completely untrue. That's the kind of story you kind of want your pastor to tell you. Here's the one that's true. Friday, Thursday night, my wife and I went out to dinner with the Bachheisens, and um, on the way home, we, Thursday night's kind of our date night. Sometimes we double up with someone, sometimes we don't. Uh, but on the way home, we had plans to fish together on Friday. And um, fishing together with Lynn and I, she's, she's getting really good. She can throw a bait cast. I mean, she's getting pretty good at it, but she doesn't touch fish. So um, I understand if I'm practicing for a tournament that, that I'm going to have more practice time if I'm alone. But I also really and truly enjoy the time with Lynn fishing. And I love the fact that she actually sometimes goes, I've seen her, I've, I've come home, we live on a, on, a, on a subdivision with a little pond. I've come home seeing Lynn fishing in the backyard without me. I mean, this is awesome. So I said, and I've learned this over the years as a, as a, as a man, as a husband, to, to put it out there this way. Lynn, I have two equally desirable things that I would like to do tomorrow. One is I would love to go fishing with you. That's our plan. The other is I would love to fish alone. Either way is fine, your choice. And she decided to let me fish alone. She had something else she wanted to do, and I kind of gave her an out. Um, so, okay, no big deal. Now, you guys watch America's Funniest Videos? Okay. You've seen enough of these. Water or dock or boat fails. I should have known better. 
But I back this boat, and I'm pretty good with a trailer. Not great, but I'm pretty good with a trailer. I back it in, and when I'm backing it in alone, launching it alone, I always try to get like this close to the dock. My, my wheels of my trailer are this close to the dock. I'm at Dutton Park, and I back it in just far enough that I can, if I hop on the tongue of the trailer, I can give it a push. I got a rope hanging there. Um, I can give it a push, it'll just slide right off. But you don't want it to, you don't want to launch the boat and have it just float away, because then, um, pear-shaped man, uh, has to swim after it, and then wet t-shirt, not a good, not a good, okay. Um, but, so I back it in, I get it just right, and uh, I always lower the tailgate of my truck, and I have a, a old man topper on it, so I lift the little, the, the little uh, uh, back windshield thing, and I jump from the dock to the tailgate of my truck. I don't want to get wet, right? So I just kind of little, little hop, no big deal, and I stand there, and I stand on the tongue, and I give it a push, I grab the rope. And then I hop back on the tailgate and I hop back on the dock. Well, someone had launched, there's this in and out service that they have over there that someone had launched one of those huge, mine's 17 feet, it's not a big boat. Um, but someone had launched one of those three axle trailer boats, I mean, more than my house kind of boats. Had launched it right before I saw it in. I'm like, oh man, this is gonna take forever. You know, I'm kind of complaining. And, and okay, they launch it. And I didn't notice, I don't know if you know this, but waters, or, uh, uh, boats displace water. Well, it created this tidal wave, this tsunami, and it, it made the dock wet. So hopping onto the tailgate of my truck was one thing, but you know, you lose a couple of pounds, you feel a little more agile. I think I'm 25 in my head. I jumped from, holding the rope with the boat floating, um, I jumped from my tailgate onto the dock, and I have sandals on, I get my full southern on. I mean, I've got a, a trucker hat, I've got no sleeves, um, cargo short sandals. I mean, I look about as, about as, uh, Larry the cable guy as you can get. Um, so I jump off the dock, not even thinking, I do this all the time, I jump off the dock and there's not any traction whatsoever, it's just that slime. So I do what's known as a hurdler stretch, but I didn't plan it. So this leg is out, this one's back, and somehow the top of my, my right foot hits the dock. Um, this knee is all bruised up, which just hurt when I hit it. And the back of my Achilles, uh, you know, by my Achilles on the other leg. And so now, this happens so quick, and I still have the rope to the boat, um, but, and there's not a great punchline here, just ridiculousness. So I jump, I land, I would, the whole reason to jump on the back of the truck is to not get wet. Um, I'm soaked with that beautiful, swampy, Lake Makatawa dock scum all over me. Now here's how I know that I'm no longer 20. If I had seen, if Kurt and I years ago were friends and I had seen him jump over there like that and sprawl out, the first thing that's going to come to my head is, <laughs> nope, some people watched. No one had video, I don't think. Uh, if you see it, let me know because I want to I make sure that they get my permission before they put it on AFE because um, I want the money. <laughs> but I jumped and it used to be guys would laugh when they see someone do that because you know it didn't hurt that bad, right? Well, the first thing that comes out of this guy's mouth, he's from Missouri, is he goes, are you... Are you, are you going to be okay? Yeah, pride. Um, that's all fine. So uh, afterwards, uh, I'm talking to him, and he's from, he tells me he's from Missouri. He has this little conversation. And, and he say, he's talking to me about where I'm going, what I'm doing. And it turns out he's just looking for fishing spots. Um, that's, that's fine. But he goes, just so you know. Of course, you have to remember it. You've got to have the call. Just so you know, that's going to hurt, that's gonna hurt you tomorrow. Like, it hurts right now, but yeah, we're there. Now, I will do my best to tie this silly little story in, but I want you to know the kind of story that, that you want to hear is a good one, and that would have been great if that kind of thing had happened to the pastor sitting at City on a Hill. It would have been wonderful um, if we had won someone back to the Lord. That would be great. But 
you should know who your pastors are when they're not in front of you. You should know that we fail, that we're clumsy. I know you want us dignified. You want, to, you know, you want, you want your pastor to be a certain, and, and really sometimes we're just not. We're just people. And the reason to tell you that story is because it just happened and it hurt this morning. Uh, but the other reason is because of what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. Just a little, like a one-minute reminder of last week in the background of Thessalonica. Paul, Timothy, and Silas had traveled from Philippi to Thessalonica. When they got there, they, they started making tents. Um, that's what they did for a living. They didn't, they didn't want to be a burden to other people. So they would, they would find themselves in the, in the kind of the town square where the merchants were. If you think of an old... Uh, um, medieval movie type thing, you know, where the, the, the silversmith and the blacksmith are there and the people are hanging up chickens, whole body chickens and goats and stuff. This kind of that marketplace. Um, Paul and Timothy, that's, how, that's, how, that's what they did when they were, when they were there, but they, they won some people to Christ. They were there three and a half, four, four and a half weeks, something like that. Um, and most of the people they, they, they led to Christ weren't the Jewish people that lived there that became Christians, but they were pagan people who were part of this new emperor's cult, this, this, group, of, um, this group of people, very influential people. That they actually had self-rule in Thessalonica, so they still had to pay taxes and give homage to Rome, but they didn't, they, Rome didn't send someone to be the, kind of the governor. So these city officials, uh, some of them and some of the people in their cult where they had deified or made divine the emperor, they were converts, and they were very influential. So there was some, some of this right away, because these people, these new Christians start worshiping a king, a prophet, a priest, a king, Jesus. And so it seems kind of seditious, like there's going to be this opposition uh, government coming in. So it didn't go well for them. And in fact, it started going poorly right away. And they couldn't get Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but they did arrest some other people. And they let them out on bond, which is very unusual, so that when they could stir things up and when it got bad for the church in Thessalonica, they could blame these leaders in the church. So Paul had, had wanted a report. He thought, he, he heard terrible things about what they were saying about Paul, Silas, and Timothy, what others were saying, but he didn't know how their faith was going because they were such new Christians. So it took several months for Paul to get a report, and he gets a report back that they're doing well, they're winning more to Christ, and things are uh, phenomenal, even though they're being persecuted, not mildly inconvenienced like us, but persecuted. And so Paul sends this letter, and he's just oozing with thank. You, you turned, and you're standing firm. And then he, and he goes on, and it says here that you know, brothers, this is what he's, he's heard people say that their, that, that their missionary journey was a failure, that they were just out for their own benefit. They're trying to, they're trying to make, you know, they're taking people's money, Paul, Silas, Timothy, taking people's money, and they're trying to make a name for themselves. So Paul, it sounds like he's defending himself, but he's really trying to show the Thessalonians how to behave from this point forward. So it says this, you know, brothers, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you of his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, which are some of the accusations being thrown their way, nor are we trying to trick you we're not charlatans. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the, with, with the gospel. And we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. 
God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you, anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. They could have come in and said, God has appointed us while we're here in your midst. You should provide shelter, food, and maybe some revenue. They said, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, which means pleasing to God, righteous, which means law-abiding, and blameless, of spotless character. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each, uh, excuse me, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. It's great stuff, but you could read this and go, huh, that's pretty good. He loves them like a mother loves her children. He loves them and encourages them like a father loves his children. He's really, he's tugging on their heartstrings. He's got some nice stuff to say, and he's kind of saying to them, some people are saying some nasty stuff. You know better because we know each other. That's awesome. But there's more here because of Paul Paul is concerned not only of the people that he converted to Christ, but of the people they're going to convert to Christ. If you think about it, when Paul talks to Timothy, one of his traveling companions, Silas, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says this, take these things, Timothy, take these things you've learned from me and trust them to reliable people who will in turn be able to teach others. Paul to Timothy Timothy to reliable people, reliable people to others. So you have Paul, Timothy, reliable people, others. Four generations of Christians, four generations of disciple makers, four generations of multiplication. All in that one 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul has a heart not only for doing the work himself, but for equipping people to do the work themselves. So I'm going to concentrate on one particular verse here today and try to encourage you to begin to see others the way Paul sees others and the way God sees you and others. It's not an accusation. It's just this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. We have, we have this cross-stitched in our bedroom. Um, when we were on Young Life staff in Elmhurst, Illinois from 88 to 91, uh, we had a, a, a leadership team. Uh, carry, I, I can just I can remember all their names easily because I see that cross-stitch. It says, it's Carrie, Laura, John, Eileen, and Susan. And I think Susan was the cross-stitcher, but, but I've spoken this verse so many times to them, and, 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 and that's, this should be our philosophy of ministry, that, they cro- that our, our, the way they asked us to remember them is by cross-stitching this. For you had become so dear to us that we, that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Think about this just for a minute. Paul was very strategic everywhere he went. 
I think I, I misquoted, I said the wrong verse. I said Romans 17 because he was in Rome, but it's actually Acts 17. Think of Paul for a minute. Acts 17, and I, I, I encourage you to, to, to go read it. I mean, he's talking about when he went to Philippi, he's talking about going to Thessalonica and right there, Rome. And Paul, when he went to Rome, he wandered around the city. He was a Roman citizen. He knew the city well, but he's walking around the city and, and he's looking at all these gods, all these temples, all these shrines. And when Paul's out there looking around, um, he finds this thing that no one really pays much attention to, this shrine. And when he goes to the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill, where people would debate philosophy, ideas, that kind of thing, Paul did not stand up when it was his time to speak. He didn't stand up and say to you, you pagans, you're all going to burn. He stood up and he said, I see that you're very religious people. In fact, as I was wandering around the city, I see that there's this temple or this shrine to an unknown God. I want to tell you something that you don't know is actually something I do know. Let me introduce you to the unknown God. He's actually the God of all gods. You know, he's the, he's the God above every God. He's the only, he's the one true God. So he didn't, he didn't come in there accusing and telling them how off they were. He came in having learned a point of intersection in their culture. Here's the gospel, here's the cross, and here's this spot where the culture's running. And he, and he finds the place where they connect. And that's where he starts to talk. So he earned the right by not accusing them, but, but actually by, by learning what they think is valuable and using that as a way to communicate the truth of the gospel. These are people in Rome that, are, that don't know that God favors them, that don't know that they don't have to appease God. They are a, a group of They have all kinds of gods, but they don't understand that the, the eternal address is dependent upon whether or not they know the one true God. And they, they have no concept of a God that would be willing to sacrifice for them instead of ask them to sacrifice for him. Paul is doing the same thing here. You might not notice it, but I told you a little bit a minute ago that, he would, that, he, that they would make tents. I mean, he's a tent maker. So really, he was a stitcher of canvas. So, and, you know, we think of tents like, like, like Walmart yurts or those pop-up, you know, the, the three-man tents that are really one. Um, that's the kind of tents we think of. But if you think back, if, they, if you were a Bedouin and you were out in the wilderness, um, you just, it's a lean-to. So when Paul and Silas and Timothy, they would go in and they would, they, they probably had to undercut everybody with their prices because no one knew them. Um, but they would have to interact with merchants. They would have to buy canvas. They would have to buy threads and needle, maybe. They might, that's something they could probably travel with. But they would have to buy the materials in order to then contract with people in order to make them the product that the people are seeking out. But if you're in the town square, if you're in the marketplace, you're also, because you interact with, with other merchants, you get to know them. Because you interact with clients, you get to know them. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy would work all day in the city courts. And then at night, they would go out and preach the gospel. But they would go out and preach the gospel to people that they had met, people that know that they understand what their lives are like, people that know. Some of the converts to Christianity in Thessalonica were people that Paul had made tents for, people that he had interacted with, other merchants in, the, in, in that area. So Paul, it, it, it's fine that he did, well, didn't want to be a burden to anybody, but it's also very strategic missiology. It's the way he does mission. And he's telling them, folks, you watched me. You saw and you know my character. You know that what I did is I went to them, I learned about them, I provided a service to them, and then I preached to them. 
It's not I preached to them and then I was willing to get to know them and then I was willing to, uh, to provide a service for them. It was I, loved, I, I knew them and I loved them and then I preached to them. So when Paul says that, that we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well, he's telling them, he's telling us, folks, it's not just have them change and then love them, it's love them so that maybe they will change. And sometimes, it's not an accusation, it's an encouragement, but it's just an acknowledgement that sometimes we get, we get this a little backwards. There's someone in your neighborhood, there's someone at work, there's someone, maybe it's one of your children, maybe it's a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, I don't know, but there's someone in your life that you, you've said what you have to say. I mean, I, I had the opportunity years ago to lead my brother to Christ, and I had tried and failed so many times, and one day he calls me up, he, he had just lost a uh, he'd just broken up with a woman that he thought he was going to get engaged to. They went ring shopping, and then she left him for her high school boyfriend the next day. Right? So he calls me the next morning. He goes, hey, I wonder if you got some time to go play golf. Um, I need some advice. I said, well, Troy, because I've blown it so bad with him before. I said, Troy, you know that what I'm going to talk about. You know what gives me hope and purpose. And he, he, he goes, yeah, that's what I need. So that was a phenomenal opportunity. But before that, it was kind of like, when you change, I'll be close to you. Instead of, I'm going to love you, whether you change or not. And there's someone in our lives that we've kind of, well, they know what you think, they know what, or maybe you've even tried to enrist and talk to them a little bit, and you said something like, well, you know, my hope is, and, and, this, is, and this is what gives me, and, and they go, yeah, that's good for you, it's not good for me. And, and you kind of, so then you feel like you've got to kind of stand off a little bit. And there are others that we kind of look at and go, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make them a pie. I'm not going to make coffee. I'm not going to invite them into my, my home. Or I'm not going to invite them into my friendship circle until, until they're kind of like me. Until they, until they speak the same, believe the same, dress the same, understand that there's a bunch of habits, things that Christians are, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't go to movies, I don't read the newspaper, I don't read magazines, I don't do that, I don't look at that on the internet. I mean, praise God, if you get saved, you can have all the fun I'm having. That's how we come off sometimes, like we've been baptized with vinegar. And, and it, it's normal, it's normal to have a, 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 a kind of a, a conflicted relationship with someone, and so you just desire distance. But Paul is telling us that Jesus is telling us that distance does not win people to Christ. Think about, let me ask you this way. What if God required of you what you may be requiring of others before in your relationship with them? What if God required that you have no other gods, that God required that you never misuse his name, what if God required that you never have anything that you bend a knee or your will to, that you kept the Sabbath day holy, that you honored your father and your mother, that you do not steal, you do not lust, you do not do anything? What if he required that you do all the things he requires of you, that he asks of you, before he shared his life with you? What if he decided that you had to keep the law and measure up before he offered you compassion grace or mercy. Well, folks, if he, if, if he waited until you got it right before he offered you compassion, grace, and mercy, then you do not need compassion, grace, or mercy. 
Because grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And compassion is something that someone feels for someone who, who's broken, who's hurting, and the other person feels with you. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And I think that Jesus, by coming here, shows us that the first thing is not the gospel. The first thing is our lives. It's to be in relationship with one another. It's to earn the right to tell them. You know, we, we, we're told in the scriptures that, that we don't have a savior who doesn't understand the kind of life that we live. We do have a savior that does understand. He understands what it means to be betrayed, hungry, sick. He understands what it's like to, 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 to have people turn against you and to go so far as to kill. They killed him. We killed him. So there's this song that we sing sometimes that he came from heaven to earth from the earth to the grave, from the grave to the sky, so we lift his name on high. He came from heaven to earth to share his life with us. Are you willing to go to someone that you don't really like that much? To share with them your life? And then if they ask, and they probably will, to share with them your faith? See, we learned something years and years and years and years and years and years ago on Young Life staff training. They said this, there is one thing that everybody in any room is an expert on. Every individual person in here is an expert in one thing, yourself. And there's something that everybody loves to talk about, themselves. So is it wrong to be in relationship with someone to ask them about the thing that they're an expert on and to ask them about the thing that you know they love to talk about. See, in order to have the opportunity to share your life with someone, you need to earn the right by asking them to share theirs with you. Now, not a judgment, you pagans. That's not what, that's not what Paul did. It's understanding. It's getting a hold on. It's seeing. What makes someone tick? And then when they ask, well, what makes you tick? Tell them. It's a great opportunity. It's scary. Because what if they say no? But what if they say yes? This afternoon is Pastor Andrew's ordination. And I've been, given, been asked the honor of doing the ministerial charge. And one of the things, and there's a piece that I have to read, and I'll read it, and, but there, he's asked me to expound on it a little bit. And I, one of the things I'm going to tell him today, there, there's some things that pastors can't have, pastors can't do, pastors can't say. Okay? That's just part of, part of the mantle that we wear. But there are some things we must do. Always. And one of the things I'm telling Andrew today is something I want to tell you today. A pastor, a preacher cannot ever stand in front of people and preach to them before they love them. Andrew can't ever preach to you if he doesn't love you first because he's sinning if he does. And I hope you know that your pastors love you. I hope you know that when you share with us pain or 
hurt or diagnoses that, that it breaks our heart. And we hear a lot of that, but it breaks our heart. And then we share it with one another if we have permission and we pray. I hope you know that when you get a good report, I mean, today, Loie DeVries found out that the cancer, the cancer in her liver and the cancer in her, well, I got her, in her bones, all gone. Still there on her, on her, on her, on her, uh, in her lungs. But it, six months ago, it was expanding. Now it's shrinking. And I just, I mean, I, un, yes! I mean, I, it was very undignified of me. But we love you. And most of you know that because you've known Kurt for a long time or if you've ever met Greg. But if you're motivated out of, I want to I tell you these things that the scripture says, but I don't really like you, it'll never land on soft hearts. You cannot share with some, the, someone the gospel of Christ if you don't love them. And if you share with them your lives because you love them, don't you think your life will be a reflection of the gospel of Christ? Evangelism is scary, but relationships aren't. So if you've, if you've got someone, someone that you've thought about, man, yeah, there's that one person, my neighborhood with condo development, whatever, that I, I've always wanted to invite to church or, or I want to take the city fest or, okay, great. Don't make them coffee. Don't ask them more for coffee. Don't make them, I'm sure they love those things. But for two weeks, when you walk by their house, when they come to mind, whatever it is, Pray that God bless them. Just pray that God bless them. Not that God change them, but that God bless them. That they experience the full richness of the love that God has for them. Material, spiritual, emotional, relational blessing. And then ask God every day for two weeks, would you give me an opportunity to ask them about themselves? Giving me the opportunity to earn the right that one day they might ask me about myself and I get to tell them. You'll be amazed at how many of us will get that opportunity. And these aren't the stories we'll share, but we'll be amazed at how many people turn and run when they get that opportunity. Someday I'll tell you about a story in Logan Airport. I had the opportunity of a lifetime. It was absolutely clear that I'm supposed to share the gospel with, with this guy. I've got a Bible, a Desert, Desert Storm Camel Bible in my back pocket. I have this opportunity. I know it. It's almost like God is saying, this is, you've got to delay. This is the time. And I walked away. But if you want to know what the heart of God is, you ask God to bless and you ask God to give you an opportunity. And when you see that opportunity pop up, you'll know that Paul, Jesus, and even Pastor Trent gets, the wood on the, gets a little wood on the ball every now and then. You'll see that God's heart is for you to love them first and then introduce them to the love of God. One last thing, very small. If when we were talking about this, you remember someone who's shared with you not only the gospel, but their lives as well. Someone who poured into you when you were younger. Maybe it was a coach, a teacher. I know for me, it was Ann Mitchell as a teacher. She was the first one who encouraged me to, to, speak, to speak more often up in front of people. Um, uh, Butch Briggs, Ken Lovell, Tom Wilkerson. They were people that invested in me. Neil Atkinson. And years ago, I had the opportunity to seek most of them out, those that were still living, and thank them for the impact they had on my life. If there's someone that's invested in you, not only the gospel, but, the, but your life as well, their lives as well, thank them. 
And if someone comes to you today or tomorrow and thanks you for the impact you've had on their life, be gracious. Ah, it was nothing. It was to them. Not only the gospel, but your lives as well. Because that's what Jesus did, that's what Paul did, and that's what someone did with you. So do that with others. Let's pray. Lord, I know it's getting a little bit, a little bit late. I know we have a song. It's a good one, though. So, Lord, those that need to leave um, because they have other obligations and they don't want to be tardy, let them go freely. But those that can stay to offer you one more song of praise, um, hear our praises. Let, them, let, let the praises rise up to you as sweet, sweet smells, sweet, sweet sounds so that you're glorified. And then as we lift you up, Lord, lift us up too. Encourage us, strengthen us, and bless those who we ask you to bless. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the reason we're over is because I shared that, those two stories, one true, one not. My apologies if it put you off, but I think it's wise for those of us who stand up and have the audacity to stand up in front of people on behalf of God to let you know that we're frail, that we're human, that we're clumsy, I am, they aren't, the other guys. They're, they're, they're unbelievably coordinated. It's amazing. Kurt's athletic career is just getting started, um, <laughs> truly. Um, uh, I also want to remind you that about the ordination that Andrew today at about 5.15, 5.30 will be able to give his first benediction with his hands out of his pockets. He'll be able to do this. Um, that's basically what it means. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but have you ever noticed that when a pastor gives a parting word, they don't ever go, Sinners! Right? It's, it's, it's called a good word, the benediction. And it's to remind us of the character, the heart of God, and his desire to show us his heart, to show us his character. So the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. Now, we don't use that word very often, but, but I do. That's a look on God's face. The God of the universe smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.